Welcome to Big Tech News. Uh, my name is Emil Pertolinski. I write a weekly newsletter where I cover big tech. And I have Jordan with me today to discuss the week. Jordan, Hello, do you Emil. want to introduce yourself? Yes, I do. I'm Jordan Novet. I am a technology reporter with CNBC. Our website is what I focus on. And I cover Microsoft, public cloud, and artificial intelligence. Okay. So I want to I wanna right off the top talk about what Facebook uh, revealed with Oculus, but we can see where the conversation takes us because okay. uh, that's what I kind of focused on in my newsletter, which I was, of course, supposed to pin. Uh, I will do that now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, I, do you have an Oculus, by the way? I sure do. It's right in front of my desk right here, and it's gathering a whole bunch of dust, and it has been for the past four years. So you haven't used it for four years. <laughs> That's right. I mean, what about you? Have you ever thought about buying one, or are you uh, going to find it? So... I did think of buying one and my main, my main goal for it was to use it for fitness. Cause I've heard that it can be pretty good. You like, you get pretty immersed mm -hmm. and you end up working out harder because you're immersed. Um, but now I'm thinking twice, right? Because, <laughs> because they've decided to add, to start implementing ads. And that's the last thing I want in virtual reality. Wait a um, second, Emil, you're a smart guy. You must've asked yourself, Will Facebook do the only thing that it knows how to do, which is put ads in its products? I mean, yeah. Not, so not uh, a surprise, right? So yeah. So it was it was predictable. It's it's obvious that they they were going to do it, but I was still kind of hoping that they would diversify their revenue, right? So yes, mm -hmm. ninety seven or whatever ninety plus percent of Facebook's revenue comes from ads. So it you know it it, it follows that they would do this. But on the other hand. Given, for example, what the problem Alphabet has with trying to find a second revenue source, because Alphabet mm -hmm. also makes almost all its money from ads, uh, and given that you know Facebook sells Oculus headsets and it's like the only other revenue stream they've got, it's like that remaining three percent, let's say. Well, they also sell portals, but anyway, hardware, let's say, is the remaining three percent of their revenue. I was thinking that they would keep going on that, right? So obviously they've discounted the Oculus. Mm -hmm. All their Oculus products are heavily discounted, which you know allows them to capture as much market share as they've captured. And they're clearly yeah. the leader. It also tells you that it thinks the lever to get users is to lower prices and maybe people aren't buying them at the prices that they had originally set. Which sure, sure. It's such a positive thing. Yeah, no, I'm I'm assuming that you know the VR market will 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 stick around and will grow, right? This this huge assumption I'm making is very possible that it'll go nowhere, mm -hmm. that AR is the future, and that there's no room for both of them, or or that VR will stay a very niche market. But right. let's assume it's you know regardless of how big it is, let's assume well we're not even assuming we know Facebook is is dominating it, and we know that one of the reasons it's doing so is because of the price discounts, right? Mm -hmm. um, I figured that they would want to you know go. Maybe you know the Epic route, where they're basically making money off in in app items and and skins and all that stuff. Um, basically, I've I've expected them to make money <laughs> to diversify their revenue stream, and they're not even expected. Again, I I I it's not like I didn't see the ad part coming, but I just thought they would you know think twice about that. Um, yeah. I'm, so, yeah, I'm, anyway, a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah. One thing I think about is 
the history of Facebook, at least since newsfeed and advertising monetization in the late 2000s. This is the, the way it has been done at the Zuck and Company. And it is different from the way that maybe operating system providers that I know we've talked about a lot over the years would do things. I would go back to the heritage of Windows. In the 80s, there was a push to get existing, uh, get new applications onto the Windows operating system so that you don't just open it up and get nothing. And in fact, this came up recently with, uh, I want to say, a congressional official saying that uh, maybe Apple should not install pre-install certain apps on the iPhone. Um, but, you know, the same thing goes with Mac. If you open up a, a new MacBook, you're going to see a bunch of apps, including a, a voice recorder and a browser called Safari, for example. So anyway, I'm just wondering if there's, if you could see a world of Facebook trying to make itself sustainable with Oculus by adding applications out of the box, good quality stuff, so that people don't have to spend or, or, you know, don't have to go dead route. Is there some other way? Because right now it feels like this is a little bit experimental. I mean, are you, are you saying that they want to, they're considering, they're hoping that they can just monetize everything through ads and, and apps won't be sold. I, I think they're, they're trying to make both possible, right? So developers will be able to sell apps on Oculus as well as put ads if they want to, Right. You know, no, no different than than apps on on mobile stores. Um, I just think that they could have it if they wanted to keep VR an ad free space and still figure out how to, you know, generate revenue for themselves as well as for developers. But they chose not to. Right. I, I agree. I'm just wondering if you think that there's room for Facebook to make a Oculus Rift. Um, I, I'm le- thinking about Pro. Plus all these little additive words <laughs> that have been used by every single company, including my own. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just wonder what whether there is appetite even for a special model of the Oculus headset, or you know, the variety of them, right? Where they're not ad supported, and instead people pay more, and there are more applications from Facebook, and maybe also yeah, from third parties. That are pre-installed. Uh, there, I think there's definitely room for it. So, they, they, I think they wanted to. They're working on a pro model, um, like not an Oculus Quest three, but an Oculus Quest Pro or something to that effect. And that they, they just said that it won't come out this year. Okay. But it's of course not not clear what that pro model will be. It, you know, presumably will will be higher end specs and mm-hmm. a better experience. I don't know if that means. I don't know if they could do no ads, right? So. If the way they're, the they thing. look like, well, the way they're setting it up is that they want ads to be a revenue stream that they'll take a cut from, but, you know, revenue stream for developers. So if they were to do that and offer a tier where you pay, you know, more for a higher end Oculus Quest, let's say, or a Rift um, that doesn't have ads, they would have to, you know, sub, like, they would have to cover that revenue or that that you know those at like if you if you buy such a device mm-hmm. uh and you install an app that is ad supported and it's free or it's it's cheaper because it's ad supported facebook would have to supplant that revenue to that developer and i don't know if they want to play that game um mm-hmm. i mean 
but we'll see, right? It's certainly a possibility, but I think the way they're going is, it's, it's yeah, it's, I agree with you. It's, it's a possibility. I just don't think it's likely, which is unfortunate. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's unlikely. I think you're right to say that. The other possibility is Facebook says, you know what? It was a bad idea. And Palmer Lucky comes out of his, his Andrew closet and says, uh, this is objectionable. This is not the vision we had. I mean, I, he's, a, he's, you know, also a smart person. You would think that he would recognize the potential for the product he, he built to become monetized through advertising, but he could ultimately say, you know what, this is wrong. You know, so you have a prominent person leading a charge saying it's not right. And then Facebook flips and, uh, and goes back to not putting ads in the rift. Is that possible? Uh, I don't, I mean, I think the only way they do it is if they have a competitor that's beating them and they get feedback that the reason that competitor is beating them is because there's no ads. Like that's the only way. Right. And that competitor would have to have deep pockets because they would have to, you know, compete on price as well. Um, you know, Google comes to mind, but Google obviously also makes money from ads and they they wouldn't want to do that. Um, Microsoft is, you know, working on a, uh, consumer version of the HoloLens. Uh, which they've said they want to make it, they want to go from, I think it's 10 ounces or eight ounces. Oh no, sorry. It's 500 grams. Mm-hmm. And they want it. They want to shrink that to 90 grams before they release a consumer version. So mm-hmm. not anytime soon. And they want the wattage to go down from eight Watts to two Watts for the power draw, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's quite bold, but they're basically saying that they won't release a consumer version until then. Uh, but that would, you know, <laughs> that'd be expensive. Um, same with, same with Apple, Apple would, would, would release plans to, or may release a consumer focused, uh, VR slash AR headset, but they're not going to fight Facebook on price. Um, so yeah, in the, uh, you know, Apple glasses. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause apps on the iPhone certainly have ads. Um, so you know, Apple could tow the line, but they could also just use that as a differentiating factor. But Facebook is so ahead right now in VR um, that, you know, they're so ahead, but the market's so early. So anything can still happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see. Um, so other Facebook news this week, uh, since you cover AI, there were two AI tools. I'm curious what you think of them. Uh, so there's one for reverse engineering deep fakes, right. which is cool because it, not only uh, detects whether an image or video is a deep fake, but it also tries to figure out what model was used to make it. Right. Uh, and they chose not to open source it. Um, yeah. Actually, no, sorry. That's the other one. Then there's also textile brush. Yeah, there were two um, yeah. That's the one that they decided not to open source. Anyway, did either of them stand out to you? Textile brush grabs um if there's any text anywhere it grabs the text from an image and kind of can duplicate the style so if you have a word somewhere on a a poster or someone's handwriting and it's just one word it can basically write anything in the exact same style so you know it can be used for forgeries but it could also be used for uh like ar translation uh which is really cool exactly that's where i was going to go they have the the blog post that announces this a photo of some fruits and vegetables in a fruit stand and there are signs in uh, 
uh, a foreign language, piment, citron, tomate. Uh, and next to it is a very similar photo, but with uh, translated text. So it's chili, lemon, tomato, onion, uh, potato. And so the if I remember about five years ago, Google added real-time translation to Google Translate, where you hold up your phone to some sign in a foreign language, and the text is automatically uh, translated into your language. And it was always jarring because you would hold up the phone and you would see a real-time translation of the text or some attempt at translating it in some other font. And right. then oftentimes you're holding up your phone and it will change fonts and change translations, which makes it pretty hard to use functionally to understand what the sign is telling you in some other country. And so I do like the idea just from the perspective of maybe more uh, less disorienting experience of uh, improving translation. And so I, I would also say that people have been deploying uh, methods of recognizing fonts for 20 plus years. And, you know, AI models of division go back to the 80s with uh, Yana Kuhn at Facebook, yeah. <laughs> at, uh, Bell Labs. And so I think it's not a surprise to see this type of um, technology offered up to generate, which, you know, draws on GANs um, to uh, generate then text in the same font as the sample. Uh, sort of yeah, next logical step. Um, so I just want to be clear, this is sort of in the long uh, context of taking technologies that have existed for a while and mushing them together to see what happens. I don't know that Facebook is going to come out with the translation app anytime soon, but it's a nice demonstration of technology, which is what um, Facebook researchers regularly do. Um, yeah, it's a nice demo because you can definitely see it, you know, used on you know, phone AR, but also any sort of AR glasses. Um, but what, what, what I find mind-boggling, though, is how it only requires a single word as input, right? So if a word has, you know, let's take the word word. No, that'll be confusing. Let's say take the word dog. Okay. The word dog only has three letters, right? And even though it only has those three letters, it's kind of figuring out how those, how the, all the other word, letters in the alphabet would be right. written given only an input with three letters or five letters or what have you, which is... Right. You know, that's, I mean, it's obviously making guesses and it's making assumptions, um, but that's still, you know, that's still really impressive, which, 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 which is why it could probably presumably be used for something like AR translation, right? Uh, a word that you're translating, even if it's just a single word, um, won't necessarily use the same letters in a different language, right? And it's going to apply the same style and the same look and feel. Apparently, I mean, I'm sure they're they're showing us the best case scenario exactly. for for, <laughs> right. for for this. So uh, it probably won't work that great. Uh, but you can see a world where we have AR. By the time we have AR glasses or AR headsets, that this technology will be even better, and you know it will work. Yeah. However, well, however well, right. certainly better than now. Um, it's kind of interesting. It comes out of Facebook. I know Adobe has done so much visual research 
And this would be helpful in, I would say, creative applications, uh, creative cloud, uh, Photoshop, et cetera, and, uh, which has tons of fonts. I, you know, Adobe knows all about this. And so what I would say is with fonts, you have various elements that make uh, a font distinct, whether it's uh, ligatures, serif, um, the heights, um, and all of these things add up to as sort of parameters that then can be used to infer. So if you are looking at the uh, source styles, as they put it in the blog post image, there's one that says short, and this is a serif font. The H has the little legs at the bottom that span outward. And so if you look at the new content that was automatically generated, you look at the Y, the Y is a serif. Uh, it broadens out at the, the top two areas of the, the Y. And so there are certain things that you can infer based on, you know, basic font information, which clearly uh, Facebook has a lot of by just having so many images available to train a model. So I, I just want to say, you know, I, I hear you being impressed. It's a cool demo, and certainly they are choosing the best uh, results to, to show how powerful this thing is. But it's drawing on, you know, a large school of, of, of data and uh, a lot of research that's gone into, um, you know, analysis, um, prediction of fonts. Yeah, so I was wondering which of the two AI tools we found more interesting, including we find Textile Brush much more interesting, which, you know, the, 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 the deepfake one is probably more applicable in the near okay. term yeah. right away. Uh, but yeah, reverse engineering deepfakes, while really interesting, uh, we like AR stuff, of course. But yeah, so we wanted to talk about Amazon. Uh, so this week... CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I don't know if you saw, Jordan, that um, Digiday noticed that Amazon's various web properties, including Amazon.com, of course, but also Whole Foods and Zappos, were blocking Google's flock tracking system, right. uh, which is in it's quite interesting because that's uh, Google's controversial alternative to third-party cookies. And a few months ago, a bunch of browsers basically decided to not jump on that bandwagon. Um, so this is just another rebuke of it. And it's mm -hmm. surprising to me that, frankly, that Google's keeping, keeping it going. And you'd think that they would just, um, you know, realize, uh, not, not, not necessarily admit defeat, but, you know, say, we're, you know, we hear the feedback, we're going to work on something else or work on the, the concerns. They, they're just plowing ahead. And that really just shows Chrome's dominance, right? Mm -hmm. um, what does this say about Amazon's ambitions in advertising, because that's the thing that I'm really interested in. Is is this a, a move to uh, benefit its own advertising capabilities? I mean, I, I don't. I, I doubt it. Wouldn't be. <laughs> it must be related. Amazon is <laughs> okay. is what number three now, uh, and growing faster than than number one and number two. 
this is right. the digital ad, ad space where Google is first and Facebook is second. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure they don't want Google to gain more control over the over the market. So in in a situation where Google didn't own Chrome or didn't own a browser that has as much market share as Chrome has, they wouldn't be able to do this, right? They would they would quickly back off. The other browser makers very much said that they would prefer to adopt um, some sort of web standards-based approach to getting rid of third-party cookies. So that's where, you know, in a normal world, that's where the, where the market would push towards. Um, of course, take, developing a web standard <laughs> takes a really long time. So this is kind of, you know, there's, there's clearly room to fill here. Uh, but I'm, I'm really curious where this ends up because to your point, to both of your points, this is, this is a big, a big deal, uh, in the grand scheme of, you know, monetizing the web. Uh, anything else from this week, uh, that you saw Amazon related, Jordan, that you want to touch on? I think, that, uh, I was curious about the app store change. Uh, in your newsletter, you say Amazon announced plans to reduce its cut of app store revenue from 30% to 20% plus some AWS credits for developers earning less than $1 million per year starting in Q4. And so I did not notice this, Samil. You uh, were able to alert me to something I had not seen, and I, I thank you for that. That's why you uh, provide value in your newsletter here. The <laughs> thing that stood out to me is I, yeah. the decision to go with AWS and encourage people who are developing apps in the App Store, to in the Amazon App Store, that is, to adopt these credits. And there is we will provide AWS promotional credits in an amount equivalent to 10% of revenue so the developers can take advantage of the benefits of building on the cloud. Uh, to me, it just stood out as the kind of thing that Microsoft would be doing where it tries to leverage the uh, existing customer activity in one area and get it going to another. And so I had really thought of <laughs> these people in the Amazon uh, App Store ecosystem that is really very separate and isolated in a bunker, really. Not really doing a lot of sophisticated, sophisticated cloud computing, but that's kind of the opportunity here. They, they want to turn people onto uh, all of the different Panaply services from AWS and, and get them consuming big time. Maybe one of the thousand will start to take off and uh, you start to have a, a serious little uh, business going. So to me, that's the kind of thing that's increasingly happening where the cloud providers are using any way they can get to sign up customers, get cloud customers. So I hadn't seen AWS doing a whole lot of that, but uh, in, in the range of, in the area of the app store. Uh, have you, has this been sort of uh, something I, I've missed maybe? No, I, I, it's, Definitely an interesting approach. It shows that they, you know, it shows what they value, right? Amazon doesn't, yeah. Amazon's yeah. app store is, is not a big money maker for them, but obviously AWS is. And it's, it's telling that, you know, they chose to cut it to 20% and give AWS credits as opposed to just cut it to 15 um, to match kind of what Apple and Google are doing. Although, although Google's deal is arguably better since it's progressive, whereas Apple's is not. 
Um, it goes back up to 30 after you've passed the $1 million mark, whereas Google's um, resets every year, I guess. Uh, right. We'll see how, how all of that plays out. But to your point about Microsoft, I, I, I suspect that we'll hear more about this next week when on, on Thursday, June 24th, <laughs> when they reveal Windows 11. Uh, uh -huh. the, store, the store stuff, you know, there's been talk that they are going to rework the store. Obviously, they don't have the pull that Apple and Google do, but they have a little bit of pull, and they need to fix this the, the Microsoft Store, which is the, the poorly named Microsoft Store, which used to be named the Windows Store, yeah. and does not refer, re, re, refer to the retail version because Microsoft retail stores have been shut down. So, yeah, I think we'll hear more about it, but I don't. I, I suspect that Microsoft might want to, you know undercut both Google and Apple to let's say 15 or 10% even regardless of what your total revenue is, because it's not as big of a hit to their revenue stream, but I don't know if they'll do anything with Azure related. I mean, they could, this certainly gives them ideas, right? Cause Amazon did this this week. So they have a, you know, a week to figure it out if they want to, you know, throw in some Azure credits uh, or, or who knows, maybe they were also planning on throwing that in. I mean, do they need to make that decision right now? I would say they can just leave that. And uh, it would be nice if they had said something about that early on after the acquisition was completed. But yeah, they can just leave it. Just sort of like how you have Visual Studio Code as a text editor existing out there. And also GitHub Atom, uh, another text editor that's free and open source. And I think these are decisions... Microsoft does not need to make right away, but yeah, it would be nice to have some clarity. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I'd like to be clear. They, you know, Microsoft does give Azure credits left, right and center. Uh, I just don't know if they'll link it in the same way specifically around windows 11 and, you know, improving their store. Right. Um, but you know, this, this certainly makes it, makes it, it puts it back on the, t you know, puts it on the table if Amazon's doing it. Why not? Um, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But yeah so I mean, for, for me, it just feels opportunistic where it's Amazon recognizing that it's going to need to be a little bit more uh, competitive on the rev share aspect of things. And in doing so, it's a chance to uh, hopefully get a new customer. But I kind of don't think that Amazon tried to uh, get ahead of some type of uh, opportunistic uh, Azure promotion to Windows 11 developers next week. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, yeah, I, I would say don't give them ideas, Neil. Yeah, so <laughs> speaking of Windows 11, uh, what did you think <laughs> of the leak? What did I think of the leak? Well, I, I must tell you, Neil, that we chose not to write about this topic. Uh, we okay. don't know what is going to be announced until next week. We don't know how uh, far along this is in the uh, ultimately final build, you can call it, of this new version of Windows. So having said that, <laughs> I did consume coverage from other media outlets about the supposed Windows 11 leak. And I watched uh, videos. And I am thinking that it's kind of the 
expectation that we had before, which was this is going to be largely a visual change. And that's okay. It's Windows. People will still adopt it if that's the upgrade path. But it's not some mega change. I don't think this is in the sphere of what came with, yeah, uh, Windows 95. <laughs> so right, right. I, I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you must have, uh, did you try to build yourself? I didn't. Um, I don't want to, you know, pass judgment um, based on a leaked build just because I presume the leaked build is older than whatever they'll show us right. at the event. And I also, you know, whatever they show us at the event won't be the final build because they'll presumably release, they won't release Windows 11, you know, next week. They'll just announce it and show some of it off and then release uh, preview builds and then they'll release an actual Windows 11 build however many months down the road. I mean, um, you know that. Well, that's just how they they, they test Windows, right? <laughs> um, it is iterative, yes. I, I mean, but we don't know exactly if they're just going to say, and it's available now. We, we don't know. Uh, no, I, I seriously doubt they would do that. They they want to put it through with the Windows preview program. They, I mean, they got the insiders, it. Yeah, that's probably yeah, true. Just, but uh, again, it, it's the company did this out of nowhere. So who can say what the strategy would be? Maybe they would release the first version to insiders on Thursday. They could. Yeah, they certainly could release preview builds on Thursday. Um, that's, yeah, that's certainly possible. I, I would assume it'd be really buggy by the, at, at that point, but <laughs> but that's fine if it's a preview build. Um, yeah. But, but what, did, what did you think from what you like? So I, I think it's not fair to, you know, again, this is a leaked build, so it's early. Um, but what did you think of the changes that you, that, you know, that were shown so far? Right. Let's start from the cosmetics of a start menu in the middle and the apps in the middle. Uh, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, I thought that it is an evolution forward. Um, and I think uh, you put fairly in the blog post, uh, as Microsoft will, there is an option to go back to the usual way of having a start menu on the left side of your display. So I think from there, I, I kind of liked it. it um, the question, it, it, you know, again, to your point, there's a big asterisk where it's a leak build that we don't know the veracity of, uh, the legitimacy of. I think the question we should talk about here is if this is the new Windows coming out soon, then what does it say about Microsoft's ambition to make Windows look more like Chrome OS and Mac OS? Right. Yeah, I mean... That's always the reaction, right? Whenever a new piece of software that competes with some other piece of software is released, or not even software, same with hardware, is it's compared to what exists out there, and it's you know described on one end as a ripoff, or on the on the other end as being inspired by. And then if something completely unrelated is released that doesn't look like anything else, like let's say the Cybertruck, then it's controversial for for, for that reason. Um, so right. yeah, I mean, I think I think centering the icons is the obvious, you know, like make it look like Mac OS and, and Chrome OS, mm -hmm. and that the way the start menu, you know, 
pops out now makes it more of a a launcher than than the start menu yeah. as as it's been traditionally although to be to be honest I, I don't know about you but i don't really use the start menu anymore i've noticed that uh i hit the windows key and then just start typing when i need to find an app i basically use the search i don't ever like put my cursor to the search and search for an app that way but if my hands are on the keyboard i'll hit the start i start button and and then just search and you know choose whatever I, I'm, I'm searching for whether it's a file or a or an app um i'm curious do you ever how much do you guys still click on the start menu and actually you know browse through it and try to find whatever you're looking for yeah sometimes i do that's okay something. okay so that's just that's just me <laughs> no I, I i think there's a lot of people who are keyboard centric and i certainly would put myself in that group but there are times when i just want to click on the restart button or, or the shutdown button or the update right, and right. shutdown button or yes i do want to scroll through the apps because i can't find that particular program i'm looking for so that's true i think i, st- I still click on the start menu to be fair to go and shut down or, or put my laptop to sleep if i want to explicitly do that and don't want to just close the lid or something like that so you're right i do click on the start menu so i mean this is this is part of the bigger you know the bigger um challenge that microsoft has right they need to keep things as close to as they have been so that all the various edge case and all the users you know from the crazy enterprise user to the to the 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 grandparent uh to the you know the the the, the child who has who has only ever interacted with touchscreen phones uh, they need to you know make sure they don't change things too much to keep all those people happy but they need to iterate and and move forward that's that's always in microsoft's challenge given that you know windows is on uh over a 1.3 billion or however many devices mm-hmm. it's on yep. and that those aren't you know those are very different users um while you know at the same time the pc is going through a renaissance and they want to ride the wave and and help all their partners you know basically sell more computers as as they have been during the pandemic but even more so now if they can release a new version of windows right that's i I would suspect that's partly why they're why they're doing this is kind of giving a it's it's a sales boost it's an opportunity to you know new marketing (laughs) hey you need to upgrade your computer do you get it you know you don't have this version of windows like that's a big driver here i suspect um so I think they're trying to balance all that, you know, while giving like it's a new version. Okay, what does it have? And it's got to look different, right? Because otherwise, we humans don't consider something new if it doesn't look different. Uh, but at the same time, it can't be too different because then it's it you know all your muscle memory is gone and <laughs> it just goes to waste and people hate it, right? Like happened with Windows 8, right? We, we all know how that went. It was too big, too big of a departure. Yeah. I mean, those are all legitimate things for Microsoft to be thinking about. Um, I don't know how many people are ready to upgrade. That's kind of what, uh, to a new device. I mean, let me be specific. I think that there will be many people who will want to just take the upgrade. And if Windows uh, 10 is any guide, then it will be a free upgrade, right? then there's the side of, oh, yeah, it's time to buy a new PC with the latest and greatest. I don't know how, how Microsoft will handle this notion of gating and limiting certain devices from upgrading to the new version. 
Because if that's the case, then yes, there will be an additional boost of uh, PC cells, which would be <laughs> presumably the outcome that Microsoft would like here. But I kind of, you know, we've seen people upgrading to Windows 10, especially in the past year and a half with the end of service for Windows 7. That was January 2020, I want to say. And mm -hmm. so people are just sort of getting used to Windows 10, many people. I, I, I'm a little bit surprised on the timing. As I say that, I must also say Windows 10 is now the oldest version of any Windows operating system in history. So it's, <laughs> the other side is uh, it, it, the time has come. It used to be that Microsoft would uh, limit the, they call it the life cycle of Windows to, I want to say, two, two and a half years. This is the late 90s, early 2000s. Right. And now what we have is something that's, that's lived on, albeit with the Windows as a service upgrade twice a year. And this goes to the matter of whether this is the last version of Windows. Uh, whether Windows 10 was the last version of Windows, but I, I don't know. I could talk about this topic for another three hours, Emil. Uh, you yeah, I mean, so you, you, no, you no, no, tell us, tell us. You wrote about this, right? That yeah. there was some some employee. I don't remember who it was. Very said Nixon, that developer advocate. Right. Yeah. So he said that Windows 10 is the last version, and you know, few people believe them because there always needs to be something new. Uh, although to, to Microsoft's credit, they've you know kept Windows 10 going and you know free updates. Every year. I mean, to your earlier point, I would say that, yes, I think they will push Windows 10 users to Windows 11 for free and they won't still it'll be a balance, right? They'll want to push as many Windows 10 users to Windows 11. I, I suspect they won't charge people, but who knows? Um, while at the same time, you know, giving a, a time frame for that um, so that their partners and, and, and themselves, right? Microsoft sells the service. They can sell more Windows 11 devices. And it's going to be like, a, it's, it'll be a tipping point, right? It'll be, it'll tip the scales for your considering a computer. Um, Windows 11 will just be like, oh, I don't have that yet. Um, so maybe that's another reason to get a new computer. I don't think it's going to, uh, you know, drive um, mass purchasing, uh, like like it you know it once did when when you know Windows ninety five came out and then Windows ninety eight and the only way to get Windows ninety eight or the better best way to get Windows ninety eight was to buy a new computer because your chances are your your Windows ninety five computer couldn't even support Windows ninety eight and if you were lucky or you could upgrade your computer blah 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 this won't be like that um, we've kind of plateaued in terms of Windows require minimum requirements or recommended requirements mm -hmm. uh, but I suspect they'll you know, they'll try to balance that where they'll push as many existing Windows 10 users to Windows 11. But also if you're buying a new computer, hey, it'll come with Windows 11. And that's, you know, one one better than the, probably the Windows you're currently running. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I think about is the, the one-year-olds out there listening to the Twitter spaces here. Uh, and the two-year-olds, three-year-olds, the ones who <laughs> parents are just uh, acclimating to digital devices um in carriages strollers and what do they do i i've seen this with a good friend of mine he would let his son who was i think three four years old uh just play with his i want to say it was a samsung smartphone while he was hang, uh while the father was doing other things talking with people and so the kid would watch youtube videos endlessly on his father's uh smartphone and once you get a sense of tapping things and looking at 
the app drawer, then that becomes the model. And so as much as I will say it seems kind of soon for the new version, uh, and it would probably make sense for many people to stay satisfied with Windows by getting that free upgrade, however or however it works. Presumably, it would be free. Yeah. But anyway, as much as that's the case, I think there's also the reality of the five-year-old speeding up a few years, maybe in you know, 2023, saying, hey, I want to play Roblox or whatever the cooler app is at the time, and or, or some PC game, <laughs> some game that requires more computing power or whatever. Um, and wanting to make sure that the device is understandable for that child so the child doesn't want to say, oh, I want to go back to Android um, so or, or iOS, obviously. So there was a feature that was shown called Wake to Touch. And this is, again, leaked build. We don't know if this is going to be in the build or in what they announce next week. You can tap on the display twice, and the way this will work is the device will wake up. This is what has been working on my Google Pixel for years. And it's common across other devices. So to make the device seem more like a, a tablet, like a, a, an iPad, really, or an iPhone, or a Samsung phone, that to me feels like Microsoft trying to make people think, be, make it more approachable for the younger audiences. Just like, hey, this notion of buying uh, an app like TikTok that's popular with the teens, this would change the demographics. And that is a, you know, an important perennial concern, I would say. So, so they, you know, with Windows 11, before it was Windows 11, was Windows 10X, and that was supposed to be for <laughs> dual screen devices. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that, that was where they were headed until the, uh, until the pandemic, or it's not clear if they used the pandemic as an excuse. Um, to kind of nix that whole project in the Surface Neo. Who knows if the Surface Neo will end up getting released in another form down the road. Yeah. I really hope so. I hope so, because I think it's, you know, to your point, a cool new form factor um, that works much like many mobile devices uh, that we use every day work mm -hmm. would be would be very good for Windows, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, because that's, you know, that's a, a bunch of different um, conflicting, uh, I would say, modes that Microsoft has to straddle. And it's, you know, <laughs> you have you have everything you described, and then you also have the enterprise user that just walks, you know, uses a laptop and doesn't even use the touchscreen aspect of it and just wants it to work, you know, like uh, in, in a reliable way. Not that mobile devices aren't reliable, but in a very different um, environment. Yeah, to, to so focus I, I think a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 please. I, I was just going to say to focus it a little bit. In the leaked build, the default uh, out uh, arrangement is that the start menu is in the center of the screen. But we don't know if that will change. For all we know, well, Microsoft will want to keep the familiarity for the enterprise users. And oh, for sure. I think retired so. peak retirees. And, you know, so it, maybe it makes sense to keep the default uh, on the left. And so well, for the, uh, you know, early adopters, there will be a switch that bloggers will be very quick to report on Thursday to enable the center out uh, arrangement. 
Yeah, so there there is a switch, uh, I, I believe, in the leaked build. Uh, but yeah, they can make it really accessible, or they can make it you know available when you first launch your device with Windows 11. Uh, but yeah, even then, even if, if even if it isn't surfaceable and isn't right there for you to, to to set when you first start using it, I'm sure you know through group policy, uh, enterprises will be able to set it for all all devices in a certain way. It's software, right? That there's no there's no reason why they can't they won't uh, do something like that. And it won't just be whether it's centered or not. It'll be the old you know it'll be how the old start menu currently works. It won't even make it the launcher one that they're showing in Windows 11, I, I suspect. Um, and that, that's fine, right? Um, that, that's what Windows is. It's supposed to be super customizable and not be too too um, jarring for, for people who want to use it the same way they've used it before. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, so you didn't, you didn't cover the leaked build, but you did cover some other stuff uh, from Microsoft this week. Uh, do you want to talk about the, the hybrid work? updates a hybrid work we're going to be hearing that a lot from microsoft over the next few years I'm, i suspect sure I, I was just talking with a startup founder and he's trying to make popular his software for letting people talk like in a walkie-talkie style and that way you can have those fast conversations that are only possible and i shouldn't say only possible very easy to do in person you can just talk about something talk about real quick and yes, you can schedule a Zoom call or a Teams call or whatever. But you can also, alternatively, do this walkie-talkie. And so Microsoft is also trying to get to this place where it has software that makes it easier for people to be uh, separated physically. And so I think that is a logical thing to do, where the people who are remote are elevated to more prominent positions on Teams calls. That seems like a good idea in general. And so I think Microsoft is not done there. I got a chance to speak with a person who works on the Whiteboard app. And it's not the most popular part of Microsoft Office, but it is part of Office. And it gained in popularity during the pandemic, as you might expect when people need a Whiteboard. Right. I, I was going to say, I'm guessing it's, it's a growing it's, it's a growing app. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it was like 12x the number of uh, users on that thing. And so in that sense, people want to be able to uh, share ideas. And so Microsoft invested in that, uh, sped up the timeline to work on uh, features for that on the roadmap. Um, and so I would expect that to continue. I, I think companies are now uh, sort of an enterprise you know, comment here. Uh, making strategies that will be in place for many years. First, we had last year where everyone went remote, not even by choice. It was really forced. And now we have the sort of, mm, we were able to do stuff well when everyone was remote, so let's have some of that. And I think this new arrangement that Microsoft is clearly trying to um, meet the need of is not going to go away until we have another, you know, earth-changing event. So I think it is important. I, I do want to also say shout out to uh, the new chairman of Microsoft, uh, the guy by the name of Satya Nadella. Uh, he is now the chairman of the company after seven years of being just another board member and, yes, being the CEO. It feels like the time has come. Uh, it feels like a finally moment. 
So um, other other than other than Bill Gates, uh, only Satya Nadella is the second one to be both CEO and, and chair, right? Steve Ballmer never held yes. both titles. What do you know? Yes. What do you? What is your? So you wrote about this. What is your sense on why that is? Why that is? Why that is that Steve Ballmer never got to be both? Yeah. <laughs> and why, or, 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 or conversely, why, why, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, why they promoted Satya, they could have just kept him a CEO and, and made, made it so that Bill Gates only ever held both titles. Right. Yes, I guess that's true. Um, there was a period when, um, Bill Gates was not, I'm sorry, that's under Steve Ballmer's tenure. 2012 to 2014, when Bomber was the CEO and John Thompson, until now the chairman, uh, was the chairman. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a good answer for you, Emil. I mean, this is a really good question. I don't have a good answer right now. Um, <laughs> but I, I will tell you that um, it is not something that I think came down to the whole Bill Gates was uh, pursuing uh, uh, an employee 20 years ago thing. I don't think that drove the uh, decision to make Satya the CEO and sort of have a little bit of a change. So this is the new Microsoft, even at the, the highest levels of the company, the, the, the board governance. Um, I think Satya really has demonstrated that the company can succeed without Bill Gates being on the board. Um, right. without Steve Ballmer <laughs> being around. And so that leaves the number three guy, Satya, who has made cloud a really serious uh, uh, business in Microsoft, something that is now uh, taking share and something that is getting noticeable uh, customers. And so uh, also, by the way, acquisitions, uh, the track record is good. The track record is yes, strong. Yes. So I, I think it feels like the sort of thing that uh, should have happened arguably a couple of years ago after it was demonstrated that Microsoft had uh, turned a corner and become very relevant again. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've stumped me. No, I, I, so Jordan, Jordan, you said you said you don't have an answer, but I think you gave an answer. Is basically like if I were to sum up what you said, it's a reward for Satya's work, and he has you know basically proven that he can take Microsoft to another level, even though he didn't found the company like Bill Gates did, right? So he performed so well as CEO that they are comfortable with him also being the chair yeah. um, and having that sort of control over the over the company. Yeah, um, I think it's a, it's a basically the it's a vote of confidence that isn't just you know monetary like here have some more. Hey guys, I crashed on me. Twitter Spaces is still not very good. Hey, how we doing? <laughs> Other than the crash. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I thought I ended the space, like. Uh, I think like it I, remained, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's the odd thing, because I was messaging Jordan. I was trying to figure out. Um, yeah, it's odd. I was just going to take this opportunity to ask. Uh, I came in late, and I was excited about the first few points that I totally missed. Is there any way you can give me a Reader's Digest real quick version of the 
kind of those initial topics like the what was the the, the top breaking thing again it was um i guess you don't have your image up or if you can pin that tweet i could probably yeah one sec. let me do that but if you want but of course if you want to just continue from where you were you know have at it yeah i added jordan but then he left so i'm trying to figure that out <laughs> one sec sorry for all the technical difficulties hey, i've no pinned problem. it I've, I've pinned it though if uh oh okay i just uh, let me pull it up here i think it was the the facebook stuff reverse engineering deep fakes i was like what the heck did i miss yeah so they they built a tool um where they apparently can figure out they can peel it back somehow through the metadata or i'm trying to think how they'd actually do it yeah, so they claim they can they can detect if an image is is um is a deep fake or a video and and then they can also figure out apparently what what it was. Uh, yeah, like how it was created like using what tool. So the only way I, I can think that could happen is if they have basically uh <laughs> put into ML every piece of video audio and i mean i'm sure they have and i'm sure google has as well too you know they've they basically have ingested everything possible and they can up to a percentage tell what it was originally you know just obviously for copyright claims and all that kind of stuff so uh if their if their ml is good enough at this point then i would assume it could figure out to a degree you know 70 percent chance that this was this movie and and then they can maybe even figure out you know which deep fake software does particular things with the pixels and stuff like that to to know that it was that that particular item that did it interesting yeah i mean i i i uh, only know as much as you know they've shared but yeah i would encourage you to to read the the blog post and see you know if, if what you make of it that they claim that they're not going to um you know divulge too much because you know of course they want to keep that um limited Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, they can't give away all those secrets, or else then somebody just figure out a different way that that bypasses what they're attempting to do. So that's yeah, the, the, the the main reason they wanted to keep it, um, uh, I believe, they want to figure out if they can uh, see if it's coordinated, if it's used, you know, like if one party is is making multiple deep fakes, and see if they can link up, you know, why it is the way to why it's been doing, you know, whatever party is doing it in a certain way. The, the deeper reasons behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's Facebook, right? So presumably they're, they're worried about deep fakes on spreading on social, on a social network and all the problems that come with that. Right. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, well, thanks for clearing to, that up. I appreciate it. And yeah, uh, and no go, worries. And go on with your thing. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to, uh, get jordan back in here like i know he's in but i can't figure out why he can't join as a speaker we're really just finishing up though so okay Okay. well you all hear me yes (laughs) okay yay (laughs) all right so i don't know how this is going to work in the in the recording or or not (laughs) because we had we had multiple technical difficulties but um we'll see we'll see basically um so let's see here what were we talking about i was definitely pontificating about something 
Oh yeah, Microsoft. Right. I think was it. Yeah, so we're gonna end. We're gonna end there. Frankly, I don't know, Jordan, if you want to keep going after Satya, or you have more to talk, or do you want to end it here? Because we were gonna go just an hour. Um, yeah, I think we should probably cap it off with with uh, that. I mean, there's so many other things in your newsletter, but we can right. talk for. What about long. the monetizing fake news? That I was excited for that. Come on. Okay, let me let me finish my thought about Satya. Let me see if we can, you know, cut this section and just continue. So, in sum. We, we were trying to say that uh, Satya has done such a good job that basically that's why he's the first after Bill Gates um, to get the chair role as well, because yeah. presumably the board and the company is, is, is impressed with his performance that he's managed to take Microsoft to the next level. That's what I was trying to sum- summarize for what Jordan was saying. Is, is that fair? Put it very, to, to put it very generally, please, folks, look at the Microsoft stock chart going back to before the 2000s and you will see why satya is now the chairman of microsoft corporation yes yes i think that's very fair uh although you can make the case that you know we're, we've been in a crazy bull market even so even if you factor that in um i mean all the big tech companies have done very well but even then uh it's it's quite stark how well microsoft has recovered from from its uh i, I would say plateau <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but by popular request, we wanted to talk about um, the uh, the money that Google makes. <laughs> there's there's no way to segue this well, but money that Google makes from all the ad traffic. We were talking about ads earlier, so mm-hmm. um, it is related. Um, but yeah, Adam here has asked us a bit to, to touch on that. Um, so yeah, the U- University of Michigan... Um, Found found that forty eight percent of ad traffic uh, on fake news publishers, as well as low credibility sites like Breitbart and so on, is is served by Google. And Google actually said that it removed ads from more than one point three billion pages uh, that breached its policies last year. Um, and so I'm arguing that that means that, as far as we know, Google was monetizing one point three billion pages. Um, that were not helpful to <laughs> to the group, the larger discourse uh, in society. Um, they may have been monetizing more, right? Um, that are that are bad and that just don't break its policies. Uh, or conversely, they only detected those 1.3 billion pages ha- as having broken its, their policies. Right? It's very possible that other pages are also breaking Google's policies, and Google just hasn't detected them. Um, I don't know if I have really any anything else more to say than that. It's just that it's 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 a little sad that 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 Google's making that much money off off those those pages. Um, it's it's sad, but Emil, I, I'm not surprised when I, I look at the the paper and and read the abstract. It is not something that is a shock. I mean, we both have spent a good amount of time in editorial publishing, and we know how much traffic comes from the Google and. So I don't see why it would be different for, for example, Breitbart, unless there were changes to the way search uh, works, whether it's for Google News or for broader searches. Uh, I think, could Google do more with tweaking uh, the result uh, generation? That is a topic that I think should be talked about a lot more. Yeah, so so Google that, that Google could definitely you know spend more mo- more of its money. Google makes a killing every quarter. They could spend more of it, their profits to kind of 
focus on 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 these problems um that would presumably hurt its bottom line but would you know be a better better use of its uh money inter- for for society um they might be worried that they would lose market share because some other player would step in to serve ads to those sites um but yeah, I mean, like we were talking earlier about Facebook, when when your revenue is very dependent on one one source, namely advertising, uh, it's it's tough to, to to diversify in a way that will hurt your bottom line, right? Yeah, I would just say that there was a statement from Google in the article from Morning Brew that you linked to, uh, which says that Google removed ads from more than 1.3 billion pages that breached its policies last year and that it has strict publisher policies against promoting dangerous and misrepresentative claims. So, yeah, I think Google has done some, but if this is happening, then clearly there is an opportunity to uh, be more granular. Right. I mean, so, so they're working on it, but we basically just want them to do more, <laughs> I think, is the, is the conclusion here. Um, and yeah, well, unless... I, I personally don't care what they do. <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it's not, it's not on me. It, I, I'm just looking at it from a sort of, um, point of view of saying this is what's happening, but right. I, I, okay. I would understand why you would say you would, uh, want the company to do more. Yeah. I mean, the only way they would, they would, they would change this, right. Is, is through again, some sort of competition that forced them to do better or regulation. Um, and there is an appetite for either frankly so this problem will remain a problem uh, to, uh you know it might get incrementally better um but yeah many people don't see it as a big issue so onwards onwards we go <laughs> all right so i'll end it there um sorry again for all the technical difficulties we'll figure it out for next time and uh have a good weekend everyone happy juneteenth for those in the states uh jordan do you want to plug anything or say where they, where people can find you? I would say please continue to read cnbc.com and watch our television. And uh, yeah, you know, we're on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yes. Um, when's the next one so we can listen in because you guys are have really interesting, cool topics that I want to listen to. Yeah, so the next one will be on, on Friday. I don't know the time yet. It'll depend on people's availability. Um, and yes, you can listen to, um, these on Spacecast. If you go into your, uh, favorite podcast app, you can search for Spacecast. This will come up, uh, cause these are being recorded. Okay. Um, but I don't know if this one will be there. <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, really, you, you guys bring a really interesting and refreshed, um, point of view of what's going on in tech, why tech is doing what it's doing. Um, and then on the flip side, it goes, it, it for me as being uh, a founder, I, I look at it like, all right, you know, are we doing the right thing? Are we not doing the right thing? What are we doing to, what, what are we doing to, uh, for the betterment of humanity? You know, stuff like that. And the stuff that you point on hits, you know, very, very deep for me. Cause I realize like, well, are we doing stuff that is changing humanity for the better or for the worst? Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll keep trying, and and I thank you for being a founder and and trying to do better. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. Yes. Thanks, Thanks guys. Yeah, All right. Okay. Have a good one. Bye bye. Talk to you later. Bye, Neil.